1: With deep jawbreaker eyes, red rope hair, gum drop lips, cotton candy thighs, you're my candy!
0: Alright, welcome everybody to Podcast 53, and we have a special guest today... It's Gregor McGreg. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> or is that your name? or what Sure, is that's name? a good one. Okay, good enough. It's anyway. my name today. <laughs> anyway, and I'm Uncle Frank. And this is Jimmy Sweets. And we're here in Podcast 53, and it's the month of March. And, uh, well, what do we have, James? James doesn't note because he doesn't have the paper. I have it. And what we have, because of St. Patrick's Day, is we have St. Patrick's Day music. And we have some sinister stories from the Green Isle. From deadly fairies to banshees to weasels. And James, I'll hand hey, you the where paper. Are the weasels? <laughs> where What's the next thing we're doing here? Well, we also have another radio drama from the unexpected. Very good. Pass me the paper. <laughs> and finally, oh, not quite finally, we have a reading, apparently. <laughs> what did, I can't read my own writing. We're mailing this one in. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we have a, a sinister reading uh, from the Hand of Horror. And Greg. You said horror, right? Yes, I did. Okay.
2: And Greg, what else do we have? We also have It's March Madness, baby. Nice. Actually, the tournament is starting today as we're recording this podcast, so we have a special, slightly gamey, uh, Figures of History that bracket tournament that we're going to bring to you. It's March Madness, baby! It's crazy! <laughs> Let's get started. <laughs> Let's do it. I say that if you
3: were injected with this, you'd revert to a primitive anthropoid, physically as well as mentally.
4: One scientist dared investigate the incredible phenomena. Our pet dog reverted to an antediluvian wolf. Look at those teeth. That dog is a throwback. Our simple dragonfly had become a winged monster of a species extinct for millions of years. Now, before your very eyes, see a man revert to a half-human anthropoid from the dawn of creation. A monster leaving behind a trail of death and destruction.
3: It's impossible. Nobody's got a footprint like that. Arrest when I find the killer.
5: That's not your responsibility. That belongs to the police. Madam, I know what I'm doing.
4: Even he did not suspect the incredible truth. Neither did the police. Nor the girl coming to keep a lover's rendezvous. <laughs>
2: Sports fans, it's March and you know what that means. Degenerate gambling on college basketball. But also here at SISG, it's our special bracket game that we have. And this year, what do we have? Famous people in history. But it has a slightly gamey twist to it. It's not a very conventional list. It's kind of a, a list of Let's say figures that are kind of dear to our heart and and interesting and and strange. And they
0: could actually remember. And there'll be some. There'll be some. Uh, some. Some of us can, anyways.
2: There'll be some conservative picks as well, but we're just gonna have a little fun with it, you know, and and uh, we'll see how it goes. So All we right. have we have four regions, right? We have sixty-four figures from history, some more prominent than others, and so- what we're gonna do is we're gonna. Whittle it down. We're going to start with 64, then it'll go to 32, 16, then we'll have the Elite Eight, the final four, two left, and then finally we will crown an SISG history figure that we like. <laughs> and it won't be Pee Wee because he's not part of this. That, that, Dude, for the first I want time. Like, if he's not all part right. of it, I'm out of it. What are our regions? So if it doesn't make sense, don't worry. It, it all will. So we have four regions, ladies and gentlemen, 16 figures in each region. We have. In region one, the leaders of the pack. That is full of famous leaders in history, but also sprinkled in there, Stan Lee randomly. So the <laughs> leaders of the pack. Nice. Region two, we have great minds ask Alexander the Great to get out of the light. And that will be a tribute to the famous philosopher Diogenes, who was once known for telling Alexander the Great to get out of his light. Oh well, that's right, he was living in a barrel apparently. That's right. He was homeless and quite weird. Quite mad. <laughs> nice. Region 3, we have potent notables. So that's going to be highlighted by Phineas P. Gage, uh, who survived the first frontal lobotomy. So that would nice. be people that died notably. Not not very many, just him and other people sprinkled. Well, actually, in. he survived it. <laughs> well, there you go. But he died...
0: Shortly, he's not alive
2: now, is he, Frank? <laughs> no, well, he's not okay. alive now. And finally, my favorite region: Bill and Ted versus Knight at the Museum. This is where we have eight Bill and Ted historical figures facing off against eight Knight at the Museum uh, figures oh, as well. Oh, nice! So that'll be a little fun. I'm liking this. All right, so let's get right into it. We'll All start right. in region. We will start in region one. Great minds ask Alexander the Great to get out of their light. Okay. So, sports fans. We have the number one seed, Diagonese, versus number 16 seed, Dr. Seuss. Who do you got?
0: (laughs) I'm not sure of the philosophy of Diagonese, although he is a nice homeless guy, and he he doesn't need much. Dr. Seuss, oh my gosh, he made my life magical. But you know what? I'm going to go with Diagonese. (laughs) Frank, you had a lot of therapy to get over that. (laughs) I'm going with
2: Diagonese. Uh, I'm going to go with Dr. Seuss. Okay, so in this case, we have a 1-1 tie, so I'll break the tiebreaker. And don't forget, sports fans listening out there, each Frank and James have two buzzer beaters that they can use where they can force someone through if it doesn't go through. They can use that once in the first three rounds. But don't waste it. So Diagonese moves on. Oh, Oh. nice. Next, we have the number eight seed, Benjamin Franklin, versus the number nine seed, Muhammad. Who do you got? (laughs) Well, I'm going
0: with Benjamin Franklin because he invented the stove and... uh, bifocals, and uh, electrocuted a kite at night. And he was friends with a mouse. So. Yeah, well, according to Disney. <laughs> anyway, I think, uh, yeah, the stove... The stove He's top, an American so, too. Stove's top stuffing he created, no, the, the uh, potbelly stove. So I'm going to go with him as well. Benjamin Franklin
2: moves <laughs> ah, on to the nice. next round. Sorry, next, we got the number five seed Thomas Edison versus the number 12 seed Gal- Galileo. Who do you got? Ooh.
0: Well, they both were kind of bastards. (laughs) But I'm going to go with my bastard, so I'm going to go with Thomas Edison, since I work for his company. (laughs) I'm going with Galileo because he stole the plans for his telescope and tried to pawn it off as his. And then he got locked up by the church, and only because nobody liked him and would stand up for
2: him. (laughs) Upset alert, upset alert, the number 12 seed, Galileo, moves on. Oh, wow. Sorry to do that to you, Mr. Mr. Edison, man, that was a tough one. Next, we got the number four seed Michelangelo versus the number thirteen seed Isaac Newton. Who moves on? Oh, I got to go. Well, with I, you know,
0: I want one of the Ninja Turtles to move on. So
2: <laughs> nice.
0: I think I'm going to go with Michelangelo. Well,
2: yeah. I thought you were talking about Newton. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Oh yeah, Michelangelo can't can't mess with that painting and all his sculptures. The <laughs> piate. Newton crumbles
2: like a cut cookie. Michelangelo <laughs> moves on. Next, we got the number six seed, Leonardo da Vinci versus number 11, uh, Plato. Who moves on? Oh, wow. But I'm going Leonardo da Vinci again. Another artist. Another crazy artist who could
0: never finish a painting. I was unimpressed with the size of the Mona Lisa, so I'm gonna go with Plato. <laughs>
6: well,
2: I'm a I'm a huge fan of uh, of that. Uh, the Allegory of the Cave. <laughs> you no, know, the uh, I'm a huge fan of Wolf of Wall Street. So Leonardo moves on. Oh whoa. wow! Wasn't he in that? I have no idea. I've never no. seen the movie. But. Oh, that's DiCaprio. Sorry. Okay. Uh, the next we have the number three seed Gandhi versus number fourteen Confucius. Oh, who so moves on? Whoa. Wow. That's Some of these seedings are tough, yes.
0: I'm going to go with Confucius because he only cared about manners. And he's made my fortune cookies <laughs> delightful for years. <laughs> I, too, will go with Confucius. Gandhi's out. <laughs> Confucius moves oh, on.
2: Wow. Next, we got the number seven seed Nikolai T- uh, Tesla versus number 10 seed Aristotle, who oh, moves Oh, that should have been against Edison.
0: But anyway. Yeah. What is it? Tesla and, who? Tesla and Aristotle oh my gosh Aristotle oh, that's a tough one Tesla the, the the maker of the death ray and <laughs> apparently and, and, free electric and the, and the, and the the uh, the transportation device according to that movie <laughs> so oh and, yes the, the, yes no, no the it's prestige it's not a transportation it's just a copier oh yeah that's right. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go with Aristotle, because he gave us Alexander the Great. I'm going to go with Tesla, just to make up for Edison. Because he gave us a nice car.
2: <laughs> and I think Aristotle has to move on. Oh. To oh. It's not personal. Usually I never get him... <laughs> Well, it's coming, Frank. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) Even a broken clock is right twice, Frank. Finally,
2: in the bottom of this region, we have the number two seed Albert Einstein versus the number 15 seed Karl Marx. Who do you got?
0: (laughs) All right. It's it's his birthday this month. I'm going with Einstein. (laughs) That's right.
2: (laughs) I'm going with Karl Marx
0: cuz he stands wow. for the workers cuz
2: Frank's all about the gulags. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go with Einstein. Oh, We're featuring oh, Einstein moves oh. oh, oh, Einstein doom. I guess better red than dead. Next region, the Potent Notables. We've got the number 1 seed Phineas Gage versus the number 16 seed Hetty Green. She was a billionaire in the Civil War. <laughs> Known for not wanting to pay to have her son's broken leg fixed. Yes, yeah, so, so it was amputated. And it was amputated finally. <laughs> then she ponied up the dough. The cheapskate. Holy crap. How much money did she die with? Uh said to be she was died she had about a billion dollars at that, that time. And that was in the eighteen nineties. Yes. In oh, the post- what would be a billion dollars now? No, no, it would have
0: been an equivalent no, of about twenty seven billion. That That's somebody works? who wasted her life. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with Phineas Cage because... Yes. Gage moves on. Phineas P. Gage, the man, it, he was uh, Putting hitting iron. a pipe into a, an explosive hole, packing it in, and it exploded went right through his head. They said he had, he was never the same. He was irritable. <laughs> <And> yet, <laughs> for a person, good reason. A personality right? changes. But he survived for oh several years, but he died young. Yeah. And they have his skull at the Smithsonian. Oh, I didn't know that. They do. I'm sure he's
2: uh, uh, somewhere looking down at us, feeling it was all worth it because he moved on yes. in this tournament. Yes. Uh, moving on, we got the number eight seed, Walt Disney, versus the number nine seed, Annalise Michelle, who was uh, The Exorcist of Emily Rose, was based on Oh, her. she's that possessed one. Yeah,
0: oh. she was possessed. Oh, well, Walt Disney was possessed by the spirit <laughs> of greed and children. What? <laughs> he was no, a fantastic I, artist. I have no idea. Yeah, that verse Mickey Mouse was great, Frank. <laughs> I, I'm going with him based on Fantasia. That film that lost lots of money. Okay. Uh, I, too, will go with, of course, Walt Disney. Walt Disney
2: moves on. Excellent. Excellent. Number five seed William Shakespeare versus the number twelve seed P.T. Barnum. Oh, Who moves on? That's crazy. It's gotta be P.T. Barnum. Some entertainment. Well, I'm go. every minute.
0: <laughs> well, this I'm going to go with a, <laughs> with a uh, somebody that was sort of entertaining to the best entertainer of all time, William Sp. Shakespeare. <laughs>
2: so, we, so we have a we old, need a tiebreaker here. Yes, William Shakespeare moves on. Don't be ridiculous. Uh, of what? There's a sucker born every minute, <laughs> that's Frank. That's crazy. Next, the number four seed, Elvis Presley, versus the number 13 seed, James Naismith, the inventor of basketball. Oh, that's tough. Who was the first one again? Uh, one, Elvis Presley, <laughs> oh, the king. Yeah. Frank,
0: the drugs come after the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I'm no going good. with the inventor of basketball myself. I'm going to go. It wasn't that hard. He put two peach baskets up. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going with Elvis? I'm going to go with Elvis. Okay.
2: Not the inventor of rock and roll. <laughs> but the king of rock and roll, yeah. nonetheless. James Naismith has to move on. Oh. Next, we got number six, Babe Ruth, versus the eleven number 11, Frida. Oh, yes, the painter. With the unibrow. <laughs> yep. Um, I do
0: like a good unibrow. Nothing says eroticism. Like extra hair. I've <laughs>
2: already forgotten the first <laughs> one again. Jesus Christ. Blake. Babe Ruth? <laughs> the great Bambino? Bambino? <laughs> <coughs> wow.
0: <coughs> I'm really... The Alzheimer's is really kicking in here. All right. Well, she was a great painter, but babe, there's no one like Babe Ruth,
2: so it's Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth moves on. We got the number three seed Pablo Picasso versus number fourteen seed John Wilkes Booth. Who do you got? You got a failed uh, actor and a failed artist.
0: (laughs) Yeah, both surrealists in their own right. Hey, here, go to college. I'm Picasso. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna take Picasso because William Booth was a traitor. Yeah, (laughs) I can't. Yeah, same thing. I can't. A showy showman. I have to admit. Had to say death to all traitors, but he happened to say it in
2: uh, Latin, and so nobody understood him.
7: (laughs) What the hell did he say? (laughs) I think Mm
0: -hmm. it was death
2: to all traitors. No, I know, but (laughs) oh yes. JWB, see you later. Number seven, Charles Darwin versus number ten, Susan B. Anthony. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting, weird match. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I
0: think Susan B. Anthony could take him in a real fight, so <laughs> I'm gonna pick her. <laughs> okay. You know but what? But what about basketball? <laughs> I like her quarters that don't work, and we used to have trouble figuring out whether there was a silver dollar or a quarter or silver dollar. So I'm going Susan
2: B. Anthony too. Sorry, Charles Darwin. Uh, wow. Survival of the fittest. creation is gone. <laughs> Susan B. Anthony moves on. Number two, Marie Curie versus number fifteen, Neil Armstrong. Oh the oh. famous trumpeter. No. I'm more I'm
0: more of a Buzz Aldrin fan myself, so uh, I'm not, gonna go Oh with, really? Uh, with the the mother of radiation with Crew, no, uh, the Mother of Radiation? Mar- Mariah Carey. <laughs> Mariah Carey. <laughs> Marie Curie. Oh same initials. Nice. Well I'm going with Neil Armstrong because, you know, astronaut, first man on the moon. Come on. Yeah, it didn't happen, so, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, you're one of those people, are you? All right. All right,
6: Marie Curie moves on. Wow. I well. guess radiation doesn't exist, so. <laughs> And that ends
2: that region. Next, we're going to move on to the leaders of the pack. A bunch of leaders thrown in with Stan Lee. Nice. We got Indeed. the number one seed, Adolf Hitler, versus the number 16 seed, Peter the Great. Who moves on? Oh, Peter the Great made his own shoes.
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not going to even go there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Hitler did. I forget, but Peter the Great's
2: my man. <laughs> Me too. Oh, it's an upset. <laughs> First time ever, a number 16 seed upsets a number one. Adolf Hitler is gone. Number eight, St. Francis versus number nine seed, Abner Doubleday. Oh. The inventor of baseball. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so they say.
0: Yeah, I don't think it happened that way, but... Uh, also, a union, win.
2: a union two-star general in the American Civil War. I'm the guy.
0: Oh. I'm the guy that jumped off his horse and kissed a leper, Saint Francis. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with that one. At whatever the heck the guy's name is, Oobla double Day, <laughs> Oogie Boogie. I just know he came up with baseball, so that's good enough for me. Saint Francis moves on. Oh, well, I can't, I can't give a groan for Saint Francis going on.
2: But next, prayer, Frank. next up, we got the number five seed, Queen Elizabeth, number one versus the number twelve seed. King Tut. Who oh, 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 both <laughs>
0: insignificant and they're oh, all right.
2: <laughs> I'm going with King Tut. <laughs> I don't care. Now, now, Steve Martin never made a song about Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, beautiful treasure. So true. No, i but of I'm course, worried. have
0: to go with King Tut as well. Just
2: the mystery. Yeah. King Tut moves on. With the majesty. We've got the number four seed, Winston Churchill versus number 13 seed, Stan Lee. Oh. <laughs> well,
0: I'm going with Stan Lee. They both. Uh, Provided us with great wars. <laughs> yes, one real and one not. But I don't think you could say that he provided us with the war, Merchant Churchill. He won the war, sir. Oh, he had too many it. movies lately. So it, Stanley doesn't have any movies so far. So. What are you They're talking about. about? Like every damn movie's in. Oh no, he's in a movie, he but he's not a about movie. him. It's not a movie about him. They haven't made a documentary. Pretty soon. Pretty soon. Well, I made a documentary, I've made a doc uh, drama. We'll go for with the guy that said he didn't like any Americans or whatever the quote that they misquote him saying all the time. <laughs> Never trust an American. <laughs> His mother was American. Winston Churchill. Right? He he was he was in fact an export.
2: Yes. So Frank, you're going with Stanley. Okay, Stan Lee. so and I'm going with Winston. So Frank. Uh, Sorry to disappoint you, but Stan Lee's buddy. out, Winston Churchill. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, the committee, I want to point out the committee's very upset because they were setting up an Adolf Hitler, Winston Churchill <laughs> matchup <laughs> down the line. Well, you you guys have just started with Really, that. You screwed can't, there's down. no
0: guarantees with this bunch.
2: Next That's got, why they play the game. Next, we got the number six seed, George Washington Carver, also known as GWC, versus Caligula. Who do you got? Well, I'm going to take George Washington Carver.
0: Is that the peanut guy?
2: It That's is. That's the peanut guy. I don't know how many. Way, 100 different ways to use a
0: peanut? Something like that. <laughs> maybe more. Caligula. 100, wow. 100 ways to use a knife. Uh... Yeah, that movie's not very good, so I'm going to pick Caligula. (laughs) And George Washington Carver moves on. Oh,
2: wow, okay. Next, we got the number three seed George Washington versus the number 14 seed Blackbeard the Pirate. What do you got? Well, let's see. Um, Shoot, I'm
0: going to go with Blackbeard, just because he has a beard like me. And that movie... Blackbeard's ghost. Oh, well, that's right. It's terrible. <laughs> what well, we really like is Peter enough not Blackbeard. But we'll well, I love terrible movies, so Blackbeard <laughs> here it
2: is. Blackbeard moves on. You guys also oh. ruined the, com- the committee. Had a George Washington Carver versus George Washington set up in the second <laughs> oh, round. Not that gonna happen. Have been
0: a good one actually. So,
2: <laughs> moving on. The number seven seed, Julius Caesar, versus the number ten seed, Cleopatra. See what we did there? Oh, moves on. nice. Who do you got? Oh, oh
0: man. man! Well, I I gotta go with Julius Caesar. Gonna, I came, I saw, I conquered. I'm yeah. gonna go with Cleopatra. Et tu, Brute? <laughs> she didn't say that. He did. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was. I I uh, I turned on
2: him. <laughs> See what I did there, oh, Uncle Frank? Oh, <laughs> nice.
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: and Julius Caesar has to move on. Oh, nice. Next, we got the number two seed Alexander the Great versus the 15 seed Eric the Red. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> no, it's not that <laughs> tough. Come on. One's great and
0: one's red. I'm gonna go with my ancestor.
2: <laughs> yeah, I gotta go Eric, red. Eric the Red. Eric the Red moves on. wow that was a big. Because he murdered somebody and got exiled. <laughs> And now we're off to our final region, Bill and Ted versus Night at the Museum. So we have the number one seed Abraham Lincoln from Bill and Ted versus the number 16 seed Al Capone from Night at the Museum. Who moves (laughs) on? Wow. I wish I would have
0: seen The Night at the Museum. It's a good one. Oh, man. So I get to judge the acting, but I'm going to have to go with Abraham Lincoln no matter which way he comes. I'm going to go with the old abolitionist, Abraham Lincoln.
2: And Al Capone is... In a vault. Goodbye. Nice. Number eight seed, Sigmund Freud. Number nine seed, Sacagawea. Who do you got? Oh, I'm going with Sacagawea because I don't care. Sometimes a cigar
0: is just a cigar. (laughs) That's right. Wow. I don't know that I necessarily have mother issues, but I will go with my man, Sigmund Freud.
2: Oh. Why did you guys put me in this position? Sigmund Freud moves on. Wow. Sorry. She just have to go with the gut. She was an explorer. Number Same five seed, person. Socrates, from the number 12... That's how they said in Bill <laughs> and yeah. Ted's. From the number 12 seed, Pharaoh Akmanra. Oh. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm going with Socrates.
0: I think so, too. Let my people go.
2: <laughs> Socrates moves on. <laughs> number four seed, Ivan the Terrible, versus the number 13 seed, Billy the Kid, who moves oh. on. Hmm.
0: Well, I'm going to go with Billy the Kid because I went to Lincoln and saw his place of residence, the jail. <laughs> and anyway, he, he's better. Let him, I, Ivan the Terrible was terrible. Killed his own son. I'm going to go with Billy the Kid as well because I saw his signature on a cave, supposedly. Oh,
2: nice. And he only killed strangers. Ivan the Terrible moves on. So far, every winner has been from Bill and Ted's. <laughs> <laughs> Number six seed Attila the Hun versus number 11 seed Genghis Khan. Oh, (laughs)
0: Hmm. wow, that's tough. I'm going to go with Genghis Khan only because 5% of the world's population are related to him. You went with me because of the most prestigious seed sower. (laughs) Yes. So I'm going to go with Genghis Khan as well. Genghis (laughs) Khan. I may be related to him. And the Bill
2: of Ted's Wave keeps going. Number three, Joan of Arc versus number 14 seed Lewis and Clark. Oh, both of them. It's a double header. Yeah, we didn't know how we could separate them. there. Oh my god. Package.
0: I'm gonna go with Joan of Arc because she really did bring that the aerobics back to her. people. <laughs> <laughs> aerobics. In villain villain type. Oh, oh, oh she my She was gonna plan to bring aerobics back to her troops uh. to get them in <laughs> fitness shape. But I'm I'm going with oh no who's the other Lewis first? and Clark. Lewis and Clark. <laughs> <laughs> You're to going with other Joan of Arc or other? Go with Lewis and Clark. Great Explorers and since Sacagawea got sent sideways, they gotta get going. Through. I told they had good memories too, so
2: <laughs> That's a great story, Frank, but Joan of Arc moves on. Oh no. And we have number seven seed Napoleon versus number ten seed Christopher Columbus, who
0: moves Is on. Is that oh. dynamite or bonaparte? Bonaparte. <laughs> oh I'm going to Napoleon. Oh. The father of old Banana Republics with his kind of politics. The man that uh, went to the uh, Raging Waters, but it was Waterloo. <laughs> uh, I will go with this, the fake Eric the Red Christopher Columbus because his Sarah went to his, his, uh, his grave and it's the most badass grave of all time. Oh. It's four men. <laughs> They're carrying it in the caskets above and it's all made in bronze. It's
2: awesome. James, nice. that's... Uh... Fantastic story. Napoleon <laughs> moves on. Oh. oh. And finally, conflict, right? finally, the number two seed, Teddy Roosevelt versus the number 15 seed, Ludwig van Beethoven. Oh. I had to take Teddy because of the national park system.
0: I think so too.
2: Ooh. All right, Teddy because moves of on.
0: The, his invention of lingerie. And giant heads the on mountains.
2: The only non Bill and Ted character to move on. So there we go. That We are down to 32. That completes the first round of our brackets. Stay tuned for the
8: next round.
4: I'm a Plymouth dealer, a dealin' man. And right now I'm giving the best deal ever on that new fast-moving Plymouth fastback, the Plymouth Baccaruda. Hey, man, the name of the Plymouth fastback is the Barracuda. I know, I can't pronounce Baccaruda. Hey, that's a bad scene, man. I mean, like you being a Plymouth dealer and not being able to say Barracuda. I'm hip. I mean, I know. Yeah, well, look, man, try this. What? Say ba, ba, ra, ra, coo, coo, da, da. That's it, man, now put it all together! Ba, ba, ra, ra, coo, coo, da, da. Ba, ba, ra, ra, coo, coo, da, da. Yeah, still not right, is it? Uh, well, it ain't Barracuda, man, but I think we got a hit record. Go get a Barracuda from your Glen, man,
7: man! yeah, yeah. Man, Some people say I'm Eddie Linehan from Brosnan. Other people say I'm Eddie Linehan from Clare. I'm a storyteller. Lots of people say I would be Shanachi, and I suppose in strict terms that's true, since I have been collecting stories and the backgrounds of stories for the last 42 years. And what is shanachus after all, except the knowledge of old things. The fairies, the Irish, the she, Nadine Ooisle, Nadine Elle, there's many names for the fairies. Irish people tended to keep their distance when it came to the fairies. There's many, many names for them. And the reason for that was respect. The shapeshifters that could be in the shape of an animal. For example, the black dog is a favourite one. Uh, Something dark, usually. Black beetles. Uh, Or the shape of a person but I, I, I asked what kind of a person it doesn't have to be a little one of the little people so-called not at all not at all Could be just like us except a little bit paler than us and the reason being of course they have no red blood in them their blood is pale if they meet you and you don't give them the, the right reply if you don't give them a sort of temporizing reply, uh, if you can, you, you, you can be found torn to pieces. That can be vicious. They can be utterly vicious. The first story in that book is a story from a man who told me about what could happen to you unless, unless you keep them thinking, keep them guessing. But don't answer them yes or no. If you do, it could cost you your life. You could be found with your throat ripped out. That's a long way from the fairies in Walt Disney. I tell you, you meet those boys and you're not prepared. <coughs> the Mollerthorn, I'll tell you a story about that. Garrett Barry, the famous piper, you know, the, the Illum Pipes. He was one of the famous Pipers. He, he was born in Aina and he was credited with saving uh, Illum Piping. He was blind and it uh, was summertime and he came to a farmhouse And they were all out saving the hay. Garrett, they were delighted to see him because they had a little child of about 18 months old and the child was in the cradle asleep. And the woman of the house delighted to see Garrett and she said, look, Garrett, would there be any chance at all? The child is there. You might listen out for the child. And if there's any little bit of bother, call me and they're in the field next door and there's something there on the table for you. And, of course, Garrett was delighted to get something to eat. No problem at all, ma'am, he said. And to pass the time, he took out his pipes and started playing them away softly by the by the fire. And he was playing there and eating a bite and drinking soap. And maybe he had been playing about ten minutes. When, all of a sudden, the little child, 18 months old, in the cradle, sat up. And he says, Garrett, he says, That's lovely music, but I had better. Lid back in the cradle, smiled up to his ears, and went to sleep. Garrett was listening away to this, of course, but kept playing and playing and playing. But uh, finally, anyway, the people out in the middle that came in for their midday meal got a bit of quietness. Garrett whispered to the man of the house what had happened, what he had heard. And the man, mm -mm, Got the poker and stuck the poker into the embers. And when the poker was red hot, now he uh, took out the poker out of the fire. And remember now, his wife or the children knew nothing about any of this. He took the poker out of the fire and <coughs> jabbed it into the cradle immediately. The child in the cradle, so called child. <laughs> Out of the cradle and out the door in a run. And of course the woman of the house. Holy Christ she thought her husband had gone out of his wits entirely. But, but, looking at this. My God the child did. (laughs) And then they had the scraping at the back door. Over she went to open the door. And there was her own child at the back door. Back. It had been a changeling. The Banshee is a harbinger, fancy word, but she's the one who warns certain Irish families of death, of a coming death in the family. And Irish people, they weren't afraid of the Banshee. Most people heard the Banshee rather than saw the Banshee. But I've heard people, I've recorded people who actually saw the Banshee. Most heard, few saw I've recorded a, people, a few people who did actually see her. And the description they gave me of her was tall, thin woman with long grey hair. Now, I, I've, I've recorded a couple of long stories about her. Too long to go into here. But one of them, frightening story, it was on the way home from the fair of God, a young man. Uh, At the time, here they were now after a miserable day at the fair (laughs) and they were coming back nearly dawn. the sun, they saw the light in the window, the mother obviously making the breakfast. And just as they were coming in the Boreen, there, sitting above on the wall on the left hand side, he told me, was this woman combing her hair, long grey hair, (coughs) and then no, she was. She wasn't anybody local. So anyway, the father and the son, they were together, and as they passed her, the father saluted her, no reply, she just kept combing and combing, and they passed on. Now the gate, the gate was just ahead of them, and the uncle was a couple of steps behind, and he saluted, no reply, but by boy told me, the old man, as he was then, he said the uncle was a different kind of a fellow entirely when he got no reply. He crept over and he snapped the comb out of her hand, not meaning no harm, but just see what he gets a response. And immediately there was this wail, this, uh, when he said it froze their blood or mine anyway, he says, well, they made for the gate and made, bust in the gate and made for the door. We bushed in the door and he said, what I noticed was my mother there at the fire, open fireplace at the time, and she's stirring a pot of whatever she was making for the breakfast, probably porridge or something. And she looked at us and she saw the comb, obviously, in my uncle's hand. And she said, close the door, close the door. And my father, around slammed out the door and this crying surrounded the house. And my mother said, what, what in the Christ did you do? And when she saw the comb, of course, she said, oh Lord Christ, she said, what, what what, are you after doing? And my uncle said, all right, she says, I, I'll give it back. And my mother said, no, 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 she said. And she made for the fire where the tongues was. And she said, give me that. And she took the comb in the tongues, you no know, big old fashioned tongues, you know, like the, the ones a blacksmith would make, and took the comb in the tongues, and she said, Open it, a small bit. And my father opened the door a couple of inches, and she poked out the tongues and the comb on it, and immediately just snapped out of her hand, and she slammed out the door, and the thing stopped, the crying stopped. Now the one thing he remembered, he said, was the silence, and the forum there in the kitchen, and the silence. He said, it, it seemed like ten minutes, but he said it was probably only ten seconds. But that silence. And then he said, my mother. Luckily, somebody kept their sense. My mother went over to the window, and of course, you know, in a cottage, small windows, and the shutters, you know, timber shutters that you open opened and it was dawn by now, and she looked out, and there, down on the footpath, before, under the window, was the tongues, heavy tongues now, and it twisted into an S-hook. And she said to my uncle, come here, she said, look at this, look out there, and he did. And she says, if you would put out your hand with that comb, that'll be your hand now, that'll be your arm now, The dirty looking idiot, she says, that for the banshee. She says, why didn't you leave me alone, or Le- leave her alone about her business and go about your business. And he said, that happened, that happened, he said, that man is still alive.
9: A city street, you could be in Peru And you hear a distant calling And you know it's meant for you Then you drop what you are doing And you join the merry mob And before you know just where you are You're in an Irish pub They've got one in Honolulu They've got one in Moscow too they got four of them in Sydney And a couple in Kathmandu So whether you sing or pull a pint You'll always have a job as wherever you go around the world You'll find an Irish pub Now that design is fairly simple, and it usually works the same. You'll have Razor Houghton scoring in the Ireland-England game. And you'll know you're in an Irish book the minute you're in the door. For a couple of boys with Borons will be more than Christy Moore. They've got one in Honolulu, they've got one in Moscow too. They've got four of them in Sydney and a couple in Kathmandu. So whether you sing or pull a pint, you'll always have a job Cos wherever you go around the world, you'll find an Irish pub The owner is Norwegian and the manager comes from Cork And the lad that's holding up the bar says only he just work He was born and bred in Bolton, but his mummy's from Kildare And he's got to make his fortune soon and move to County Clare They've got one in Honolulu, they've got one in Moscow too they got four of them in Sydney and a couple in Kathmandu So whether you sing or pull a pint You'll always have a job Cos wherever you go around the world You'll find an Irish public To go, I have to catch me train So i leave you sitting at the bar And face the wind and rain But I'll have that pint you owe me If I'm not gone on the dry When we meet next week in Frankfurt In the fields of Ride. they got one in Honolulu they got one in Moscow too they got four of them in Sydney And a couple in Kathmandu so whether you sing or pull a white, you'll always have a job. Because wherever you go around the world, you'll find an Irish pub. Hey! They got one in Hallelujah, they got one in Moscow too. Hey! They got four of them it's it, yeah! and sit uh-huh! uh-huh! So whether you sing or pull a white, you'll always have a job. Cause wherever you go around the world, you'll find an Irish pub. Wherever you go around the world, you'll find an Irish pub.
10: Truth is stranger than fiction. This is the truth. This is Whitley. Believe it or
11: not. Here's an interesting item for the bird watchers and the curious. The beak of a woodpecker moves forward and back with a speed of 100 miles per hour. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you the strange story of the spectacles of death. Dominique Joseph Garat, Minister of Justice during the French Revolution, was given the frightful task of reading the death sentence to King Louis XVI. His great remorse concentrated on his gold-rimmed eyeglasses. He vowed never to see or wear them again. Forty years later, a curate visited Gara. He found the spectacles and tried them on. When Garat returned, the sight of the spectacles literally shocked him to death. The curate who never suspected the fatal association wore them while reading garage funeral services. Believe it or not. And we're
2: back. We're down to 32 historical figures. It's fantastic. It's amazing. So let's get right into it, sports fans and degenerate gamblers. Let's start with region number one. We have the number one seed, Phineas Gage, versus the number eight seed, Walt Disney. And let me remind you, you both have two buzzer beaters that you may use at any time. Phineas Gage, number one, versus Walt Disney. Who moves on?
0: I'm taking Phineas T. Gage, or P. Gage. Wow.
2: I think I'm going to go with Walt Disney... And Phineas Gage puts up a shot from half-court. He, If it goes in, he wins. But it misses, and Walt Disney oh, wins. Walt Disney moves, oh, on. moves
0: on. That was Phineas' only chance for glory.
2: Next, we have the number five seed, William Shakespeare, facing off against James Naismith, the number 13 seed. Who moves on? Well, I'm going
0: to go with William Shakespeare this time. I, too, am going to go
2: with old Bill Shakespeare. Nice. No controversy there. William Shakespeare moves on. Next, we got the number six seed, Babe Ruth, versus the number three seed, Pablo Picasso, who moves on.
0: <laughs> Both men of great appetites. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I'm going to go with Babe Ruth because his appetite was greater. Wow. I am going to go with Pablo Picasso. Oh.
2: And Bubba Guzzle moves on. Oh, what the heck? How's that possible? And finally, use your bladder buster if you don't make it. <laughs> and finally, we have the number 10 seed, Susan B. Anthony, versus the number 2 seed, Marie Curie. Who do you Whoa. like? Tough, oh. Tough, but
0: I'll take Madame Curie. Oh. I don't know. She paid the penalty. so uh, I get my kicks, James. I'm going to go with Marie Curie. <laughs> there we go. Madame Curie, <laughs> Madame Curie moves Madame on. Curie. It's easier
2: to figure out that dunk I
0: Sounds like a prostitution ring, Frank. I can't do it.
2: <laughs> Next region. We got the number one, Diagonese, versus the number eight seed, Ben Franklin, who moves on. Oh, I'm going to have to go with Ben Franklin.
0: I, too, am going to go out, out on a limb and go with Diagonese.
2: Oh. Oh, boy. That's a tough one, but uh, Ben Franklin has yeah. to move on. Oh. Uh, yes. Next, we have the number 12 seed, Galileo, versus the number 4 seed, Michelangelo. Who moves on?
0: I'm going to go with the uh, title of the Indigo Girl song, <laughs> Galileo. <laughs> I'm going with Michelangelo. Wow, The master of all and time and, and space. <laughs> Michelangelo
2: drives the lengths of the court. Going down to the buzzer. Three, two, he shoots a belay It's in. Michelangelo moves on. Oh, nice. All right. The number six seed, Leonardo da Vinci, another Ninja Turtle for you, versus the number 14 seed, Confucius, who moves on.
0: Oh. <laughs> Tough, but I'm going to Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, my gosh.
2: Wrong again, Frank. Confucius it is. Confucius say, I'm out of the tournament. Oh, buzzer beaters coming down.
0: Confucius moves.
2: Oh, there was a technical foul
0: at the very last (laughs) second. Coach off the bench. It
2: it will happen sometimes. It's known to happen. Finally, the number 10 seed, Aristotle, versus the number 2 seed, Albert Einstein. Who is the last one to make it to the next round in this region? I'm going with Aristotle.
0: I'm going... To go with the man who conquered time and space, Einstein. Doom.
2: <laughs> and Einstein moves on. Uh. Ah, buzzer beater. Uh. Oh. oh, yes. I think Frank's disqualified by pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> and that's the end of that region. Next, we got region two. We've got Peter the Great versus St. Francis. Who moves on? Oh well, St. Francis for all the animals. I'm going with him this time.
0: Peter the Great was great, but he farted at Babel, and I don't go for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I do really, but anyway, <laughs> Frank's should, more of a crop duster t- himself. <laughs> talk about throwing glasses and stone, uh,
2: throwing stones at glass houses. But who do you all got, right. James?
0: For the love of St. Francis, I have Peter the Great.
2: And St. Francis has to move on. Ah, nice. Next, we got the number 12 seed King Tut versus number 4 seed Winston Churchill. Who moves on?
0: Oh. Oh, I'm going to go Winston Churchill because he was tougher. He lived past 13. I think he would tell you if he was here, Frank.
7: tut, tut.
2: It's tut. (laughs) All right. What is it? Winston Churchill moves on. (laughs) Number six seed, George Washington Carver versus the number fourteen seed, Blackbeard the Pirates. Who do you got? I'm going with George Washington Carver.
0: I too will go with the man that, you know, worked at Kenny Rogers Roasters. The carver himself.
2: It <laughs> oh, wasn't Blackbeard? <laughs> All right, George Fried, Washington Fried J- JWC moves on. Finally in this round ra- in this region, we have the number seven seed Julius Caesar versus the number fifteen seed Eric the Red, who moves oh, on. Oh, I'm gonna go with Eric the Red because he's a relative.
0: I too am going with Caesar Eric the Red. It, it just would stomp on us if he was around. Well,
2: and he's not around, so <laughs> goodbye to, to Julius Caesar.
0: Thank you, Brute.
2: Finally, we're back in the Bill and and Ted versus Teddy Roosevelt bracket. We got the number one seed, Abraham Lincoln, versus the number eight seed, Sigmund Freud.
0: Oh, Abraham Lincoln. I, too, will have to go Lincoln.
2: Lincoln moves on. Next, we got the number five seed, Socrates, versus the number 13 seed, Belly the Kid.
0: Oh, Socrates. Um, I'm going to have to go with... Socrates as well.
2: Socrates moves on to face Abraham Lincoln (laughs) next round. (laughs) We've got the number 11 seed, Genghis Khan, versus the number 3 seed, Joan of Arc. Oh! Well, I'm going to go with
0: Genghis Khan, even though that's not right. Oh, I'm going to go with Joan of Arc just for spike,
2: some some <laughs> <laughs> What is it? And I think Joan of Arcast the move on. Oh I got saved myself. <laughs> Next we got Napoleon, number seven seed versus number two seed, Teddy Ruxpin Roosevelt. Oh oh Teddy Roosevelt. Uh
0: I am gonna go against The man who sold us the Louisiana Purchase and go (laughs) with Theodore Roosevelt.
2: Nice. All right, Teddy Roosevelt moves on. Well, sports fans, we're left with 16 historical figures who will be crowned the champion. Stay tuned.
11: From Hollywood, Lyle Talbot in The Unexpected.
12: The Unexpected.
11: The Unexpected. Unexpected. Life is filled with the unexpected, romantic, tragic, and mysterious endings to our most ordinary actions dreams come true, or dreams are shattered by sudden twists of fate, in The Unexpected. But first, a word from your announcer. And now, Lyle Talbot, famous motion picture and stage star, in Cargo Unknown, a drama Of the unexpected. My
10: dear Lorna. No. Dear Mrs. Andrews. Yeah, that's better. Comma. You'll no doubt remember me. You should. I'm the long, lean, wide-eyed lad you approached. I think that's the word. Approached that sticky afternoon in the bar at Ginger's. You were looking your best black hair on white shoulders and not too much of a salmon pink dress. So I turned around and stared. After all, deep sea diving is a lonely business.
12: Do you buy me a drink or do I buy you one?
10: That depends on whether I'm a gentleman or not. Well, are you? That depends on you.
12: Mike, give us a couple of the same. Okay, coming up.
10: Now, uh, do we use names?
12: It's simple. I'm Lorna Andrews.
10: Here's to you, Lorna.
12: Here's to you, Tom. Oh? Yes, I know your name. I've been following you.
10: That wasn't necessary.
12: I want to talk to you about business.
10: Before pleasure?
12: Uh Uh-huh. I hear you're the guy I've been looking for.
10: Offhand, I'd say you were right.
12: I hope so, Tommy. Because there's a lot of money waiting for us. For you and me. An awful lot. How much? Enough. In round figures, over two million. I like round figures. When do we go after it?
10: That depends on where it is.
12: About 175 feet down. That's pretty deep. Oh, you look like a big, strong boy, Tom. You can get it. 175
10: feet is a lot of water, especially when you're under it.
12: I wouldn't know. But they tell me you're the only diver in Honolulu who could make it.
10: Better give me the whole picture, Lorna.
12: All right. You fit up a boat, we take a little sail. And then you go swimming. Where? I'll let you know when we get there. Not till then? Uh uh. Sorry, Lorna. What's the matter?
10: I don't buy it. I'm not a very legitimate guy, but I like to do legitimate business. Makes for nice contrast.
12: What's wrong with this setup?
10: Plenty. If there was that much money lying around, somebody else would be after it. Probably insurance or shipping companies. So you're either looking for something you shouldn't have or just lying. I'd like it better if you were lying.
12: It's the truth, Tom. Okay,
10: have it your way. But a woman like you ought to have more important things to lie about than money. So long, Lorna, and thanks for the drink. So I walked out on you, Mrs. Andrews, and right into the grinning face of our mutual friend, Mr. Comar.
13: Mrs. Andrews is an interesting woman, isn't she, Mr. Stevenson? Does she interest you? No, not exactly. But I too am concerned with the matter of the Mary Arnold. The who? Oh, as usual, women are so secretive, and it is so unnecessary. Mary Arnold is a ship now lying off Molokai Reef. Everyone knows she is there. Yeah, then what's the secret? Her cargo, Mr. Stevenson. Her cargo.
10: Now you begin to interest me, Mr. Uh... Coma.
13: Frederick Coma. Uh, let me tell you everything.
10: Okay, start weeping. I got broad shoulders.
13: Ah, uh-huh, but you must take this seriously, Mr. Stevenson. It is a very serious matter. You see, the late Mr. Andrews, Lorna's husband, was a passenger aboard the Mary Arnold, and in the hold he placed a valuable cargo. Valuable in the sum of two million dollars.
10: What kind of cargo?
13: No one knows for sure. Until I arrived last week, no one knew of the existence of this cargo. Not even the, uh, bereaved widow, Mrs. Andrews.
10: Why did Andrews confide in you?
13: Oh, he didn't. The Mary Arnold was one of the last ships to escape Shanghai before the arrival of Japanese. When she sank, everyone thought that her cargo was worthless. And since Mr. Andrews perished with the ship... There was no one to correct this erroneous impression. But I have evidence to the contrary.
10: I like to see evidence, Mr. Comar. It always satisfies my curiosity. Ah,
13: yes, but of course. Here. Bills of lading. Official and certified.
10: Howard Andrews. Shanghai to Honolulu via the SS Mary Arnold. Sealed containers. Estimated value. Two million dollars American. Signed, R. Markham and son Shanghai. Where'd
13: you get this? I, uh, found it. Yeah? Yes, Mr. Stevenson. Last month, going through some old records in the shipping office, it was sheer luck.
10: No doubt. Why don't you take this to Mrs. Andrews?
13: Mm, Unfortunately, I did. But she... She seems to feel that the percentage I require is more than she wishes to pay. So...
10: So that's where I come in.
13: Of course. Of course. And I assure you that working with me can be most profitable. While on the other hand, cooperating with Mrs. Andrews could prove disastrous, even fatal, if you follow my meaning. I'm way ahead of you, Komar. Good. But just one thing. Yeah? Don't ever get too far ahead. I made a tentative
10: appointment with Mr. Komar... Went back into the bar and did some tall thinking over a tall drink. And I looked up your address in the phone book and went out to your simple little $500 a month apartment near Diamond Head.
12: Hello, Tom. I've been waiting for you. Well, I'm here.
10: You were all rouged, powdered, negligee, and looking very fetching indeed.
12: Can I get you a drink?
10: I think we better talk business first.
12: The mm. Before pleasure?
10: Yeah. I saw Mr. Komar this afternoon. He offered me a deal.
12: I'm not surprised.
10: Are his facts straight? Uh-huh. And you didn't know about this cargo before?
12: No. There were a lot of things my husband didn't tell me.
10: He was a bad boy. Sometimes. Suppose I take the job for you. Fine. My price is expenses and 10% of whatever we find.
12: Comar offered you more than that, didn't he?
10: Well, maybe I think this stuff belongs to you, or maybe I just like working with you better than with Komar.
12: Maybe. When do we start?
10: As soon as I get a boat fitted
12: up. It's a deal, Tommy. And you don't worry about your percentage. I'll make it worth your while.
10: I didn't keep my appointment with Mr. Komar. We were too busy. Two weeks later, we had the salvage ship fitted out and anchored just off Molokai Reef. We checked the equipment, we tested the pumps, looked over the airline and checked my suit. Then I slipped into my 32-pound boots and was ready for the helmet when you came up and got your lips in the way.
12: This is just luck, Tommy.
10: Thanks. You helped me put on my helmet. And I climbed over the side and into the glistening green water. Down I went, feeling very much like an elephant with two trunks, into the quiet of an ocean with a bottom 175 treacherous feet below me. The ghostly undersea light faded as I dropped, and I was all alone in a black world, black as death. Ten minutes later, I hit bottom and switched on my searchlight, and... There she was, right in front of me, a gaping hole in her side, and still painted on her stern the words, S.S. Mary Arnold, Honolulu. I reached out with one of my hooks and pounded on the hull. The sound disturbed the giant squid, and he swam out past me. I stepped in beside him and walked forward. A pile of sealed aluminum containers was sitting in the hole waiting for me. I I pried one of them open. And there it was. Fat, neat little packages of currency in large denominations. Currency, millions and millions of dollars.
11: You think the story is over, don't you? But wait. Fate takes a hand. Wait for the unexpected. Now for the surprising conclusion of Cargo Unknown, a Hamilton Whitney production starring Lyle Talbot, written by Robert Lippitt and Frank Burt, and directed by Frank K. Danzig. I
10: surfaced slowly, my arms loaded with the stuff. When I got to the deck, you were waiting for me, Mrs. Andrews, but you weren't alone.
13: I'll take that money, Mr. Stevenson.
10: How'd you get here, Comar?
13: A speedboat. I decided to let you do the work and to content myself with the profits. Now I'll take that money. Okay, stop waving your little pistol. Here, you're welcome to it.
12: Tom, you can't.
13: And you would go down for the rest?
10: If you really want it.
12: What are you doing, Tom? There are millions of dollars It belongs to me. To, to, to us. You can't just give it away, please, Tom, please.
10: Take it easy, Lorna, and you too, Komar. Sure, there's millions of dollars. Probably eight or nine million. The bill of lading said it was worth two million Americans.
13: That is correct.
10: And it was ten years ago.
13: What do you mean?
10: These are Chinese dollars, friends. and They've gone down a little in value. If I remember right, at the last rate of exchange, the whole business is worth about 500 bucks. <laughs> And so, my dear Mrs. Andrews, I'm enclosing my bill for $6,000 expenses. You can forget about my percentage. I don't expect that you'll pay this bill, but I believe in trying. Yours truly, Thomas J. Stevenson.
14: You've heard the Pan Am commercials. Millions hear them every day. Now listen to interpretations of the music from these commercials that are making people get up and go.
7: Leave the phone off the
4: hook. Teach the cat how to cook.
1: Be a man, not a mouse. Sell your car, rent your house. Get away World. let the golf take its course let the car get a horse
4: leave the house up a tree lock the door lose the key get away
1: right
7: going great. Ah, makes the
1: going great. And makes the
9: Que se llene el buzón al lechero plantón
15: Panar, voyage fabuleux
1: Condução, confusão, compromisso, prestação Cargue tudo, deu fora, tire folga, tá na hora, roda as asas, vamos embora Mas agora, sem para pra fora,
15: pro mundo que a ser Oh your mark ready, set, let's go,
1: let's go. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh your mark ready, set, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. go. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to swing, baby. Yeah.
2: Get it ready. Ladies and gentlemen. It's Now, sports fans, yeah, the Sweet 16. We've got the potent, notable region. We've got number eight seed, Walt Disney, versus the number five seed, William Shakespeare. Who moves on to the Elite Eight? Disney or Shakespeare? Disney.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with
2: uh, William Shakespeare. And Walt Disney moves on.
7: Whoa.
2: Next, we got the number three seed, Pablo Picasso, versus the number two seed, Marie Curie. Oh, I'm going to go with Madame Curie.
0: I am going to go with Pablo Picasso.
2: And Pablo Picasso shoots up a three-pointer. It goes in, but he's down by four. So Marie Curie moves on. (laughs) Nice. Next, in the great minds, ask Alexander the Great to get out of their light region. We've got the number eight seed, Benjamin Franklin, versus the number four seed, Michelangelo. Who moves on? Oh, that's a tough one.
0: I'm going with Michelangelo. Sorry,
2: Ben.
0: I'm going to go with Benjamin J. Franklin.
2: And Benjamin Franklin moves on. Oh, All right. I have, to, I have to ask it as a question because you still each have a buzzer beater oh, yeah. left. yeah, well. That can only be used in this round. After yeah, that, all bets are I'm off. Done. Oh. Uh, next in, the, in this great minds region, we have the number uh, 14 seed Confucius versus Aristotle. Who moves on?
0: Oh, I'm going with Aristotle. I am going to go with the father of all yeah. Eastern thought, Confucius. It's not all Eastern thought, but <laughs> Frank, a Eastern thought. Oh. Anyway, what is it? What's the outcome?
2: Aristotle is down by one, by one with two free throws. Boom! He makes the first one. He misses the second one, and Confucius moves on.
0: Oh. That was confusing. Yes,
2: it was. That's why I did it that way. (laughs) Next in the leaders of the pack with Stan Lee, who's no longer in the tournament. Region, we have the number eight seed, St. Francis, versus the number four seed, Winston Churchill. Who moves on?
0: (laughs) That's a great battle. Oh my gosh. I think I'm going with Winston Churchill. Does St. Francis throw up a prayer? (laughs) <laughs> and he misses it's Winston Churchill <laughs> Winston
2: Churchill moves on oh, to the Elite Eight sorry St. Francis next finally we have the number six seed George Washington Carver versus the number 15 seed Eric the Red who moves oh,
0: on I'm I don't know how either of these are this far but <laughs> oh I wouldn't keep both of them but George Washington
2: Carver <laughs> this time
0: nope Eric the Red I'm still going with Norwegian. with blood
2: Eric the Red, the Charlotte Carver. It's good. Eric the Red moves on. Oh, I'm using
0: my last buzzer beater. Oh, on resurrecting. Ju- on oh, Mr. GWC.
2: All right. So George Washington Carver moves on. Franks
0: love his peanuts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> By the last four here, folks, in, in this round. We have the Bill and Ted versus the Knight of the Museum region. We have the number one seed, Abraham Lincoln, versus the number five seed, Socrates. Who moves no, on? I'm going to go
0: with Socrates. I'm going to go with the great emancipator himself, Abraham Lincoln.
2: And Abraham Lincoln puts up a three to win it to move on. Oh, Socrates is out.
0: Socrates
2: is gone. Number three seed, Joan of Arc versus the number two seed, Theodore Roosevelt. Who moves on? Oh, I'm going to go with Joan of Arc this time.
0: I am going to go with the man that was like, put on the Mount Rushmore as an afterthought. (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) They needed a fourth guy. He was basically the drummer.
2: (laughs) Well, the committee is very Catholic, so they're going to have to go with Joan of Arc to move on. Wow. Uh, This is the last last one. We're going with the buzzer meter that's the last one I have. Teddy Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Bear moves on. And the Sweet 16 is over, and we have eight historical figures left. Who will be crowned the champion? You have to stay tuned to find out.
11: Well, I actually thought somebody
6: must have been literally tying a cat up and strangle or something. You know? But I went out onto the, you know, the window with my lump of turf. And uh, there was nobody there, nothing there, but you could hear this way. And suddenly my hair began to stand up, and I thought, Jesus Christ, that's really strange. Uh, I did the best thing, which is to get under the bed, cover my head, and try to block it out, you know. But the next morning, anyway, I got up, and uh, there was a bang on my door. Mrs. Cummings came up the stairs to tell me that Frank had died. And I said, How do you know that? And she said, Oh, I know it. I know it. poor Frank is dead. He's after dying. Now, Frank lived in New York. We were living in Dublin, you know. And uh, three days later,
11: a telegram arrived to say Frank had died at that particular point in time, you know. So since then, I've thought, that was definitely a banshee. That's the only time I've ever heard anything like that in my life.
6: But don't ask me to explain this. No idea.
11: Apparently, when he was getting this tea, and he was getting it, I suppose, where well he shouldn't be getting it, maybe. But uh, he heard the banshee. And he dropped everything and ran home, and he was as white as a sheet, and he was frightened of his life. And he got an awful fright. But, like, and somebody in the area, somebody belonged to him, had died on the night, now, as it so happened. Now, believe it or not, it could be anything.
12: My two aunts. They saw, her, you know, they're cushioned carpet they in the yard or something. The summer's evening, and she came along and passed them by. Mm-hmm. And she combed in her hair. she took no notice that they didn't take her Like I
14: mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, used to believe, long was all right, you know. Yeah. When a person had be passing on, yeah? She was supposed to be sitting there, and combing her hair and crying out, you
7: know? It's a very consoling belief. It's a very nice, one. It's very consoling. It's family. It's the idea that uh, it's one of your ancestors, that somebody has come to take you away, that somebody is going to cross over with you and you join the community of the dead of your ancestors on the other side. At least that's how people have worked it out down
8: over the centuries. So you're not going in your own. You're accompanied by one of your own. So it, it fits in with people's desires and requirements and a sense of identity and, and so on. And then
7: being the protectoress of the land, being the goddess of war. So you have many dimensions, many imaginations and conceptions of the other worlds, It's the land of women. It's the land of the dead.
14: All the old people long ago, you know, they had all them stories and everything, you know. But today, every road is so busy with cars and everything, they must have killed them all.
7: That's why I say, you know, the tragedy is that thousands and thousands of these stories have been lost just because the old people haven't been got in time.
3: They'll have an interest in it. You know what I mean? It's folklore. It's interesting. You know what I mean?
0: Not many people my age do now, but it's fun. You know what I mean? There's
7: more in this world than we think about. Than we know about. I'm convinced of that. That's Ireland, yeah. That's well. Um... You do a weasel wrong, an old man told me. Do a weasel wrong, especially if you make the mistake of killing a weasel, then you're in trouble. Because brothers, sisters, family, they'll come for you. And they'll come for you when you least expect it. Very often when you're in in, in bed, in, in, inside in bed in the dark of the night and as he said to me there's no point in trying to keep him out. A weasel will come through a small space, he'll come down the chimney and by God he'll of course make for <coughs> your throat. He'll kill you. He'll be found in the morning with the marks of your throat and that's it. This notion of the fairies being you know the little Walt Disney fairies and you know the little sparkly things with the wand and the, the they'll come for your tooth and all the rest of it that's a lot of nonsense. You'll mess with the Irish fairies and you're dead. And uh, I often tell people about this book. If you want to sleep tonight, start at the beginning. If you don't want to sleep tonight, start at the end. The last story in that is a gruesome story, and it happened only about five miles from here, just over the Galway border there, about a man who, yeah, he didn't believe in the fairies, but yes, the fairies were only for children. And he planted spuds in a fairy fort. Just to prove the point. I don't believe in these fuckers, you know, they, these bloody... And the locals try to warn him, you know, leave it, leave it. You know, this isn't this isn't the kind of thing to be trying to prove that you're a man. Over. He took no notes of him. But I tell you, that man died a ferocious, horrible death. Bit by bit. His, his skin fell off, his hair fell out, his teeth fell out, his nails fell out, fingernails, toenails, you know. He died in stages, until he finally did die. And the fort is still there too. Nobody has interfered with it because local people know the story. And whether you believe in it or not is neither here nor there. You know, um, maybe, maybe... We're all very brave, you see, when we're in daylight, when we're surrounded by our, our gadgets and technology, when we have our friends, or when we have noise around us. The first group, they seemed to be carrying something above their back. When she looked closer, she saw that it looked like something dead. Because, you know, the the paws were up in the air like that, and there they were carrying it along, and I thought she had a no clue what the hell is this. And the dog backing away, backing away towards her all the time. So she just asked me there inside in the bank, you know, she said, what what, what could I have been looking at? Oh, I said, I know what you were looking at. And you were a mighty, mighty, mighty lucky woman, I said, that you had your dog with you. What you were looking at was a weasel's funeral. I said, I often heard about it from the old people, but I never saw one. And there you were, looking at one, and you didn't know who it was. And I said, you were a very lucky woman, that your dog was there with you. Because if you had wandered into the middle of those weasels, on their funeral, you'd be torn to pieces. These things didn't come down, down, down through generations, uh, for nothing. They, they they started somewhere. They were carried on, because there was some spark of something in them that was worthwhile, uh, not just for entertainment. Very often, as I, as I say there about the weasels, for something that might save your life. So, they're interesting. These stories, they're they're, they're an abiding fascination because there's always something new. Always. They're about people. And not just people, but about people's relations with animals, with each other, with the landscape. I mean, that's an infinite resource. Infinite.
15: (laughs)
14: A giant hamburger with lettuce and tomato. A banana split with three kinds of ice cream, chocolate sauce and marshmallow topping. Or what about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Or a shiny red apple or a big piece of cake or chocolate covered donuts? We all like to eat many different foods and we're lucky to have such a variety of foods to choose from. Poultry. Milk, meat, fish, eggs, cheese, ice cream, bread, pancakes, muffins, cereal, tomatoes, peas, carrots, beans, oranges, apples, bananas, strawberries, watermelon, cherries, peaches, tangerines. We all need foods like these to help us look our best and give us energy to do all the things we want to do. Of course, some foods are more important than others in helping us to grow and stay healthy and active. What is there that makes some foods more important than others? Nutrients! Nutrients! There are over 50 different nutrients in the foods we eat. Scientists have discovered that nutrients are chemical substances our bodies must have. Let's call on one of them to tell us more about what nutrients do.
1: Oh, let me speak,
14: let me. Thank you. <clears throat> Hi, folks. My name is Phenylalanine. I'm an amino acid. Well, I'm not as well known as some of my friends, but I think I can help you better understand what we nutrients do. Uh, Phenylalan... Uh, hmm. Hey, that's... that's... that's a pretty hard name to remember. <laughs>
2: we back sports fans eight historical figures are left you could cut the tension with a knife here so in the potent notable section we have the number eight seed walt disney versus the number two seed madame curie <laughs> who we'll moves on to the final four
0: <laughs> that's a great battle uh i'm gonna go with walt disney he didn't pay the penalty well they both paid the penalty with cancer I think Marie Curie gave him cancer, so I'm picking Walt Disney.
2: Walt Disney moves on to the final four. Next, we have the number eight seed Ben Franklin versus the number fourteen seed Confucius in the Great Minds. Ask Alexander the Great to get out of their light region. Ben Franklin versus Confucius. Who moves on? Uh,
0: ben Franklin for me. Confucius say Confucius win. <laughs>
2: Okay, Gre- Greg say Ben Franklin win. Ben Franklin oh. moves on to the final four. <laughs> Greg, I'm a fan. What can I say? Next in the leaders of the pack, we have the number four seed Winston Churchill versus number six seed George Washington Carver.
0: Who's was the first one? Winston Churchill versus George Washington Carver? Sorry oh about that. Oh my gosh, well, I'm still going with George Washington Carver. Wow, I'm definitely going with Winston Churchill.
2: Yep, and obviously George Winston Churchill is going to win that one every time. I'm telling you, if you knew George Washington Carver, you wouldn't say that.
0: (laughs) Frank really loves his penis. not just that, he's a brilliant man.
2: I think Frank went to high school with this guy or something. Finally, we have the Bill and Ted versus Night at the Museum region. We have one from each film. Number one seed, Abraham Lincoln, the only one seed left at this point, versus the number two seed, Theodore Roosevelt, who moves on. That's a good one.
0: Wow. Well, I'm still going with Abe. Oh, man. I think I have to go with uh, old Teddy
2: Roosevelt. And Teddy Roosevelt, down by one, puts up a shot. It's blocked by Abraham Lincoln. It's blocked by his hat. (laughs) Abraham Lincoln moves on. By the tallest president. Yep.
0: (laughs) Versus the shortest. No, not true.
2: They used to call him the beard on the NBA court. (laughs) And that's the end of that round, sports fans. So call your bookie, place your bets. We have four historical figures left. Who will be the champion? We'll find out. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, thank
8: you for coming. Please drive carefully. Arrive home safely. Good night. Yeah,
6: baby. Yeah. The Hand Written by Guy de Maupassant. Read for you by Edward E. French. All were crowding around Monsieur Bermoutier, the judge, who was giving his opinion about the Saint-Cloud mystery. For a month, this inexplicable crime had been the talk of Paris. Nobody could make head or tail of it. Monsieur Bermoutier, standing with his back to the fireplace, was talking, citing the evidence, discussing the various theories, but arriving at no conclusion. Some women had risen, in order to get nearer to him, and were standing with their eyes fastened on the clean-shaven face of the judge who was saying such weighty things. They were shaking and trembling, moved by fear and curiosity. And by the eager and insatiable desire for the horrible which haunts the soul of every woman. One of them, paler than the others, said during a pause, It's terrible. It verges on the supernatural. The truth will never be known. The judge turned to her. True, madame. It is likely that the actual facts will never be discovered. As for the word supernatural, which you have just used, it has nothing to do with the matter. We are in the presence of a very cleverly conceived and executed crime, so well enshrouded in mystery that we cannot disentangle it from the involved circumstances which surround it. But uh, once I had to take charge of an affair in which the uncanny seemed to play a part. In fact the case became so confused that it had to be given up. Several women exclaimed at once, "'Oh, tell us about it!' Monsieur Bermoutier smiled in a dignified manner, as a judge should, and went on, "'Do not think, however, that I for one minute described anything in the case to supernatural influences. I believe only in normal causes. But if, instead of using the word supernatural to express what we do not understand, we were simply to make use of the word inexplicable it would be much better at any rate in the affair of which i am about to tell you it is especially the surrounding preliminary circumstances which impressed me here are the facts i was at that time a judge at ajaxio a little white city on the edge of a bay which is surrounded by high mountains The majority of the cases which came up before me concerned vendettas. There are some that are superb, dramatic, ferocious, heroic. We find there the most beautiful causes for revenge of which one could dream. Enmities, hundreds of years old, quieted for a time but never extinguished, abominable stratagems, murders becoming massacres and almost deeds of glory. For two years I heard of nothing but the price of blood, of this terrible Corsican prejudice which compels revenge for insults meted out to the offending person and all his descendants and relatives. I had seen old men, children, cousins murdered. My head was full of these stories. One day I learned that an Englishman had just hired a little villa at the end of the bay for several years. He had brought with him a French servant whom he had engaged on the way at Marseilles. Soon this peculiar person, living alone, only going out to hunt and fish, aroused a widespread interest. He never spoke to anyone, never went to the town, and every morning he would practice for an hour or so with his revolver and rifle. Legends were built up around him. It was said that he was some high personage fleeing from his fatherland for political reasons. Then it was affirmed that he was in hiding after having committed some abominable crime. Some particularly horrible circumstances were even mentioned. In my judicial position I thought it necessary to get some information about this man. But it was impossible to learn anything. He called himself Sir John Rowell, I therefore had to be satisfied with watching him as closely as I could, but I could see nothing suspicious about his actions. However, as rumours about him were growing and becoming more widespread, I decided to try and see this stranger myself, and I began to hunt regularly in the neighbourhood of his grounds. For a long time I watched without finding an opportunity. At last it came to me in the shape of a partridge, which I shot and killed right in front of the Englishman. My dog fetched it for me, but, taking the bird, I went at once to Sir John Rowell, and, begging his pardon, asked him to accept it. He was a big man, with red hair and beard, very tall, very broad, a kind of calm and polite Hercules. He had nothing of the so-called British stiffness, and in a broad English accent he thanked me warmly for my attention. At the end of a month we had had five or six conversations. One night, at last, as I was passing before his door, I saw him in the garden, seated astride a chair, smoking his pipe. I bowed, and he invited me to come in and have a glass of beer. I needed no urging. He received me with the most punctilious English courtesy, sang the praises of France and of Corsica, and declared that he was quite in love with this country. Then. With great caution, and under the guise of vivid interest, I asked him a few questions about his life and his plans. He answered without embarrassment, telling me that he had travelled a great deal in Africa, in the Indies, in America. He added, laughing, I have had many adventures. Then I turned the conversation on hunting, And he gave me the most curious details on hunting the hippopotamus, the tiger, the elephant, and even the gorilla. I said, Are all these animals dangerous? He smiled. Oh no, man is the worst. And he laughed a good broad laugh, the wholesome laugh of a contented Englishman. I have also frequently been man-hunting. Then he began to talk about weapons, and he invited me to come in and see different makes of guns. His parlour was draped in black, black silk embroidered in gold. Big yellow flowers, as brilliant as fire, were worked on the dark material. He said, it is a Japanese material. But in the middle of the widest panel a strange thing attracted my attention black object stood out against a square of red velvet. I went up to it. It was a hand—a human hand—not the clean white hand of a skeleton, but a dried black hand with yellow nails, the muscles exposed and traces of old blood on the bones, which were cut off as clean as though it had been chopped off with an axe near the middle of the forearm. Around the wrist an enormous iron chain, riveted and soldered to this unclean member, fastened it to the wall by a ring, strong enough to hold an elephant in leash. I asked, What is that? The Englishman answered quietly, That is my best enemy. It comes from America, too. The bones were severed by a sword, and the skin cut off with a sharp stone and dried in the sun for a week. I touched these human remains, which must have belonged to a giant. The uncommonly long fingers were attached by enormous tendons, which still had pieces of skin hanging to them in places. This hand was terrible to see. It made one think of some savage vengeance. I said, This man must have been very strong. The Englishman answered quietly, Yes, but I was stronger than he. I put on this chain to hold him. I thought that he was joking. I said, This chain is useless now. The hand won't run away. Sir John Rowell answered seriously, It always wants to go away. This chain is needed. I glanced at him quickly, questioning his face, and I asked myself, Is he an insane man or a practical joker? But his face remained inscrutable, calm, and friendly. I turned to other subjects and admired his rifles. However, I noticed that he kept three loaded revolvers in the room, as though constantly in fear of some attack. I paid him several calls. Then I did not go any more. People had become used to his presence. Everybody had lost interest in him. A whole year rolled by. One morning, toward the end of November, my servant awoke me and announced that Sir John Rowell had been murdered during the night half an hour later I entered the Englishman's house, together with the police commissioner and the captain of the gendarmes. The servant, bewildered and in despair, was crying before the door. At first I suspected this man, but he was innocent. The guilty party could never be found. On entering Sir John's parlour I noticed the body stretched out on its back in the middle of the room. His vest was torn. The sleeve of his jacket had been pulled off, everything pointed to a violent struggle. The Englishman had been strangled, his face was black, swollen, and frightful, and seemed to express a terrible fear. He held something between his teeth, and his neck, pierced by five or six holes which looked as though they had been made by some iron instrument, was covered with blood. A physician joined us. He examined the finger-marks on the neck for a long time, and then made this strange announcement. It looks as though he had been strangled by a skeleton. A cold chill seemed to run down my back, and I looked over to where I had formerly seen the terrible hand, but it was no longer there. The chain was hanging down, broken. I bent over the dead man, and, in his contracted mouth, I found one of the fingers of this vanished hand cut, or rather sawed off by the teeth down to the second knuckle. Then the investigation began. Nothing could be discovered. No door, window, or piece of furniture had been forced. The 2 watchdogs had not been aroused from their sleep. Here, in a few words, is the testimony of the servant." For a month his master had seemed excited. He had received many letters, which he would immediately burn. Often, in a fit of passion which approached madness, he had taken a switch and struck wildly at this dried hand riveted to the wall, and which had disappeared, no one knows how, at the very hour of the crime. He would go to bed very late and carefully lock himself in. He always kept weapons within reach. Often at night he would talk loudly, as though he were quarrelling with someone. That night, somehow, he had made no noise, and it was only on going to open the windows that the servant had found Sir John murdered. He suspected no one. I communicated what I knew of the dead man to the judges and public officials. Throughout the whole island a minute investigation was carried on. Nothing could be found out. One night, about three months after the crime, I had a terrible nightmare. I seemed to see the horrible hand running over my curtains and walls like an immense scorpion or spider. Three times I awoke. Three times I went to sleep again. Three times I saw the hideous object galloping around my room and moving its fingers like legs. The following day the hand was brought to me, found in the cemetery on the grave of Sir John Raoul, who had been buried there because we had been unable to find his family. The first finger was missing. Ladies, there is my story. I know nothing more. The women deeply stirred were pale and trembling one of them exclaimed but that is neither a climax nor an explanation we will be unable to sleep unless you give us your opinion of what had occurred the judge smiled severely oh ladies i shall certainly spoil your terrible dreams i simply believe that the legitimate owner of the hand was not dead That he came to get it with his remaining one, but I don't know how. It was a kind of vendetta. One of the women murmured, No, it can't be that, and the judge, still smiling, said, Didn't I tell you that my explanation would not satisfy you?
4: To see my old mother once more There's a bright gleaming light Guiding me home tonight Down the long road of old cobblestone Down the road that leads back To the tumble-down shack
3: In In traveling the road that leads back to that tumble-down shack in Athlone, we soon discover that the real charm of old Erin is in her picturesque and peaceful countryside, where a vast majority of her people engage in agricultural pursuits and live in humble but happy circumstances. In our world travels, we observe that the purely agricultural countries seem to have a natural advantage that industrial depression cannot completely overrule. And as a result of this, there appears to be a certain independence and pride manifested among the poorer classes that one seldom finds in the highly industrialized countries. This is indeed easy to understand, as the soil is the first and most natural source of livelihood and it is not unlikely that the chief solution to many of man's problems in the machine-ridden countries will be found in a more universal cultivation of the land. Almost three-fourths of the real wealth produced in Ireland is derived from farm products, and no matter how poor a family may be in the Emerald Isle today, there is no excuse for them being hungry. For as long as the soil produces, thanks to the proverbial generosity of Irish farmers, there is enough for all. And here is Dick Harrow, who says he's the fattest man that ever set foot on the Emerald Isle. Even the donkeys can't believe their eyes or their ears when they see him. Dick says he weighs 560 pounds, is 5 feet 11 inches tall, 35 years of age, married and has a perfectly normal son. He claims his health is fine, but after dragging a donkey around all day, he becomes a bit fatigued.
1: My dreams of night and day I slowly pass the time away With thoughts of you and how it was And how it was you went away And when I think of all the laughs we've had The times we turned each other on How could the goodness turn to bad I really can't accept it I was wrong to think that it would last By simply clinging to the past I didn't think to look ahead See the day when it was dead We didn't need to smoke or worse To travel through the universe The trip we took was in our kiss Yes, I remember all of this and more
2: Sports fans, we're back. So we're down to the final four here. Let's take a minute and resonate and talk over the lives of these great, great men. All right. We're down to it. So I'll I'll, uh, tell the the final four. We have Walt Disney, the eight seed, versus the number eight seed, Ben Franklin. And then on the other side of the bracket, we have the number four seed, Winston Churchill, versus the number one seed, Abraham Lincoln. Anybody have any thoughts on these
0: (laughs) gentlemen? Well, I was just saying uh, off the radio that I went and saw a play at the Ford Theater. We saw 1776. It was very weird with seeing light uh, musical and staring across because I was in the balcony across from where he got shot. And they don't let anyone sit there, by the way, (laughs) it's empty always. But it was so trippy, and then looking down the stage and imagining John Wilkes Booth jumping off down there, breaking his leg. I saw
2: Spamalop there once. You did? No. I'm oh, not. my gosh.
0: It is like seeing... That would be very inappropriate. Uh, you know, playing a graveyard or something. or you know, It is eerie, and then across the street they have... Uh, they took him from the theater and laid him in a bed that just happened to be... I don't know if it was somebody's apartment or whatever, but they still have that, and you can go, and they have the pillow that he died on. So... Very eerie. And then they have his... People at the scene ripped apart his jacket, they said. And they only have a piece of it left. While he was dead? Yeah, some jacket? kind of a weird thing, yeah. They, it's like weird souvenir thing. I don't know exactly if that's the story right, but they only have a piece of it, and they said people took it... I don't know if it was at the time. Teared off him like it's a, <laughs> a rock and roll stuff. Yeah, right, Abe? Hey, but uh, anyways, great figure <laughs> besides his death. And uh, so... There you go. Also, he's famous
2: for saying, just because your picture is next to a quote, don't believe everything you see. (laughs) I saw that on Instagram once. (laughs) Uh, And so what? we
0: got Benjamin Franklin next. James, you have a story about Benjamin Franklin, I think. Benjamin Franklin's one of my favorite people in history because he was uh, what I like to coin as he worked hard lazily or he was a lazy man worked who worked, smart. worked hard. No, I mean, yes. <laughs> but he had, in his autobiography, he, had, he told of stories when he used to be a, the a printer in town that he would take heaps of work home in a wheelbarrow and everybody would say how fast he was. But he was just a super efficient man, and he got all his work done. He would just take it home to make himself look good every <laughs> night, and that's out of his hand. That's his hand. He's telling that story, so I love that that man. And that's uh, good enough right there. Yeah. What about Winston of Churchill? Liars. Are we done to Winston Churchill too? <laughs> sure. So Winston Churchill is, you know, obviously a great man, and he had like all kinds of cool sayings. He's like one of the most quotable people of the of the you know 20th century. And two of my favorite quotes from him are the way to make a great martini is to pour the gin in and look at a bottle of vermouth. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) And what's the next one? The next one is he walked up to a lady at a party and asked if she would sleep with him for a million pounds. And she said, yes. And he said, well, how about 100? And she asked, what type of woman do you think I am? And he said, we already established that. <laughs> now we're negotiating price. <laughs> well, I know but... is he failed a lot all through his career. <laughs> and it took World War II to, re- to bring it back to life. <laughs> and he was sickly like Teddy Roosevelt. He had like a uh, complex, like they had to prove themselves over and over again. That's Teddy's thing, too. He didn't quite do a San Juan Hill thing, but, you know, he... <laughs> He needed to prove himself. And then as he got old, he, he self-inflicted himself
2: with fat and cigarettes and cigars <laughs> and drink. That's called Well, he got the living. Churchill name after him, the cigar. Oh, very good. He's also known for saying, uh, you know, a lady came up to him and said, I believe you're drunk. And he said, Madam, in the morning, I'll be sober, but you'll still be ugly. Uh. Man, he terrible. Actually, he was a charmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then there's Walt Disney,
0: <laughs> a real sob. <laughs> Probably the worst of it, the bunch. It depends <laughs> on who you ask about Walt Disney, but I know that he he created some beautiful things, and he pushed people to create even better things. That when uh, when he was walking around the work, and he was coming in, they had a code word so everyone would know, and they would go. It was from Bambi, and they go, man is in the forest. And then you knew <laughs> that Disney was coming, so, you know, look busy. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I've always been, he's always been a hero of mine. I've always been a fan of Walt Disney, and a great creator, and um, good storyteller. Absolutely. And a hell of a... And, and a slave <laughs> driver. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? That's, that's, hey, that's what all good bosses do. <laughs> they get the best <laughs> and the most out of you. For the least
2: amount of money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here we go. There's our four. All right. Well, let's ju- let's dive right in. Let's find out who makes it to the finals. So we have the number eight seed Walt Disney versus the number eight seed Ben Franklin. Who do we move on to the championship game? That's tough. Both heroes of mine growing up.
0: Well, Ben Franklin is, is mentioned in The Sound of Science by <laughs> by the Beastie Boys.
2: Ben Franklin with a kite, <laughs> I, I think it's the line. I'm going with Ben Franklin. I'm going with Walt Disney.
0: I'm sticking with that.
2: This is tough because these might be my favorite two people in this whole... I, I'm a huge fan of Ben Franklin, but uh, I got to go with the guy who had his head frozen, Walt Disney. Oh,
0: cryogenics. <laughs> be damned. <laughs> All
2: right. So Walt Disney moves into the final. Another half, we have Winston Churchill... Versus Abraham Lincoln, the one seed. We actually have sensible people <laughs> that are coming towards the end. I thought for sure Phineas P.
0: Gage would be here still. We have literally the, you know, the most fondly remembered uh, British of the 20th century and the most fondly remembered American of the 19th century. Shh. Well, I'm going with Abraham Lincoln. So, <sighs> since I bleed red, white, and blue, I will do that as well. Abraham Lincoln it is.
2: Well, that finals it then. You can put your pencils away. Abraham Lincoln versus Walt Disney. (laughs)
5: I've read about this incident you had in 1951, and you said you saw literally hundreds of unidentifiable flying objects.
8: Yes, they were flying quite high. How high, we couldn't tell, because we couldn't get anywhere near their altitude. But they were either very large craft way up, or smaller crafts still well above what we could get to.
5: For a day and a half, all of this happened. But then no one wanted to talk about it.
8: Well, we sent a report forward on it, and and the answer that finally came back months later was they were probably high-flying seed pods, which didn't sound very logical. There are always a lot of excuses.
5: There's always um,
8: the weather balloons. I've heard that one before.
5: In 1951, you couldn't even get close to the things that were flying overhead,
8: you or anyone else that was flying. They were faster, higher.
11: Six years later, Cooper again encountered a UFO. This one definitely was not a weather balloon. While supervising flight testing at Edwards Air Force Base, his military camera crew actually filmed an unidentified saucer-shaped object landing near the
8: site. As they were sitting there filming, a little saucer came from, fl- no, I say little saucer, it was a saucer came flying over their heads, put down three little landing gear and landed right out on the dry lake bed. And they picked up their cameras and started over toward it filming as they went. And when they got in fairly close to it, it lifted up, put the gear back in the wheel wells, tipped up, and took off at a great rate of speed. And so they brought the, came into my office and told me what had happened, and I sent them over to develop the film. And then had to go through the, all the proper regulations of reporting this, and, and we wound up having to send the film forward to Washington in the uh, base jet airplane. And... Uh, I don't know whether anyone's ever seen it since.
5: Now, the vehicle that you just described, how similar was it to the very first sighting that you had back in
8: 1951? Quite similar, it was basically the same plan-form vehicle. They were a double saucer, lenticular. But if you're going to be going in and out of atmospheres like Earth or other places might have, you certainly need a little more aerodynamic type of vehicle and the saucer has the capability of going through the air at tremendous rates of speed and handling the bow and trailing wave without making shock waves so it can be very silent while traveling at big rates of speed through the atmosphere
11: but sightings of ufos weren't limited to the military cooper has commercial airline colleagues who've also seen ufos
8: Yes, a friend of mine who's a captain on a major airline Uh, at night was flying along noticed this suddenly a big glow came off his left wing and and he looked out and his big saucer was sitting right off their wing. And so he turned slide toward it and then moved away, and turned back and it moved back in position and turned to his co-pilot and said, uh, do you see what I see? And he said, oh, God, yeah, I do. And it trailed along with him for quite a period of time and then tipped up, climbed very steeply away. Was on Jim McDevitt's Gemini 7 mission where they saw um, this glint of something metallic off in the distance and he reported it, and nobody had it listed on the ground so he tried getting a picture of it but the sun unfortunately was glinting off it was bright all you got is just a glint there was no detail on what it was but never any, uh, any further sighting at all on it
6: years later cooper approached the united nations with a proposal for a committee that would explore the ufo phenomenon
5: all right now tell me about the letter to the u.n
8: The letter to the UN was uh, in conjunction with a meeting that I had with uh, Kurt Waldheim and the Security Council of the UN to try to encourage the UN to establish a committee to start comparing notes and data and information and to really look into all of this from an unbiased, neutral point of view. Here's a quote from from your letter. I believe that these extraterrestrial vehicles and their crews are visiting this planet
5: from other planets and are obviously a little more advanced than we are here on Earth. And are you saying that's exactly why governments have been trying to keep this information private because of that obvious advancement?
8: Very possibly. right.
11: Chariots of the Gods, the international bestseller by Eric von Dänigen that shattered conventional theories about history and archaeology. Now, Sun International brings it to the screen in a startling new film. Chariots of the Gods explores Von Däniken's controversial and explosive theory that beings from other galaxies visited Earth in ancient times. Did a genius from another world design the pyramids? Is there evidence of a prehistoric airfield in the Andes? And what about the giant stone faces that brood over Easter Island? All over the Earth, the evidence is there. For an intriguing, fascinating, mind-opening experience, See chariots of the gods, rated G. Let's get ready to rumble. Get
2: ready to rumble. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We started with 64 historical figures, and we're down to two. So, who will be crowned this year's champion? It won't have anything to do with Pee Wee Herman this year. <laughs> We've got the number eight seed coming out of the. Potable Notables region, Walt Disney. Now coming out of the Bill and Ted versus the Night at the Museum region, we've got the number one seed, Abraham Lincoln. So, who wins?
0: The only question I have, is it animatronic Lincoln or regular Lincoln? (laughs) Yes. That's a good question to bring up. (laughs) If it's animatronic Lincoln, it's one and the same. (laughs) The father and the son. Ah, man. That's really tough. I mean, it shouldn't be tough. For most people, it's hand down Abraham Lincoln. But Walt Disney did his amazing amount of influence. If you have a little... He's almost like that was his his favorite character because he made an anatomic version of it. (laughs) So it's like Walt Disney's hero. (laughs) right? So maybe it's uh, like a little Vader... Luke, and, and Walt Disney's Luke, and he should win, but I don't if he, know. If he
2: was here, he'd probably vote for Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, for I think so,
0: self. too. So I know he would. Is it dying wish to be I Abraham I think Lincoln. his dying wish is that Abraham Lincoln should win, so I'm going for Abraham Lincoln. But that's mighty
2: magnanimous of him, so I'm going to go with Walt Disney. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, the battle's
2: on. Well, well, this is tough because... Did you ever see... Saturday Night Live had this sketch uh Tunes the driving cat. Yes. yes. And so then they had uh, this this special one Saturday it was a, like a Tunes special it was like at 8:30 And so they did this sketch with Abraham Lincoln, and it was uh, one of the guys from SCTV. I can't forget it. I can't remember his name. But basically, it was Abraham Lincoln's time machine. So he went back in time, and he kept trying to kill John Wilkes Booth, and he would (laughs) get foiled, and that's why John Wilkes Booth tried to shoot him, because...
0: (laughs) Oh, It was was genius. It's a circle.
2: Yes. But I, I do love Disney. I'm a big fan of Disneyland and the films and everything, so... Let's give it to Abraham Lincoln. What the oh. Oh, <laughs> This is crazy. We haven't had a sensible winner ever. This is, this is quite Frank, a deal. now, now. I being mean, very
0: Pee-wee literally meaning this. you shut your mouth about Pee-wee Herman. Yeah. Oh. Don't you talk about him like that.
2: And for those of you listening that have no idea what we're talking about, Pee-wee's Big Adventure won our cult classic film, right? And then we had a character battle last year, <laughs> and Pee-wee won out of 64 characters. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> so he couldn't win the other one because that was songs yeah. and of course his theme song could have won but anyway wow Well, what could be next year now it's Abraham Lincoln we're moving up a notch here I don't know this, this doesn't feel right but <laughs> let's start all over do Music with Mozart <laughs> come on this is nonsense alright we'll see you next time everyone we can only imagine what will be
2: the next uh, competition you'll just have to wait a year to find out
0: all right that's about wraps it up frank what's our one last thing well march is the month the birthday of good old albert einstein So, in his honor, we have a little tune for you. So, this is Uncle Frank.
2: This is Gregor McGregor. And this is Jimmy Sweets. See you next month. Stay gamey.
1: Bombed. By the time I was 26, I knew that you never go hard. By the end of Miraboli, 1905, I had in the absolute shown that you never arrive. Be the
9: light
15: 6